Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with Kelly Dooley from the American Society of Civil Engineers and Brad Aldrich from Aldrich and Elliott PC. We talk about raising the bar and closing the education gap for the future civil engineer. I've heard a lot about the Raise the Bar initiative from ASCE, and you may have as well. And recently I was at a conference, I was networking, and I started talking with Kelly Dooley. I met her for the first time there, and she's the director of the Raise the Bar initiative at ASCE. And we started talking about it. I asked her if she would consider coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast and talking about it, because I assume many of our listeners might have heard about Raise the Bar as well and might not be clear on exactly what it is. So she agreed to do it, and she's also bringing Brad Aldrich on the show with her, who is a member of ASCE, and I'll introduce them both in a moment. But he serves on the Raise the Bar Committee. So it was a really interesting conversation. And for me, it really cleared things up about what Raise the Bar is. And I'm hoping that it does the same for you. But ultimately, it's about caring about the future educational needs of civil engineers. So before we get into the conversation with Kelly and Brad, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode. And we have a new sponsor for the Civil Engineering Podcast, and that's Advanced Drainage Systems. This special episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast was brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the most advanced name in water management solutions. ADS is celebrating over 50 years of service in the United States. For decades, ADS has shaped the drainage industry through constant innovation and improvement of products like N12 pipe made of HDPE. In 2009, ADS introduced the most innovative drainage product since N12 HDPE pipe, their HP High Performance Polypropylene product line. Stay tuned, and later in the show, I will tell you more about HP Pipe and how it can be used to improve drainage on your next project. And I'm thrilled to have ADS on board. When I was practicing civil engineering, I did a lot of work with them, and they're an excellent company, and they have great products. I also want to take a moment to tell you about our new Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, which you can find at engineertomanager.com. For almost 10 years now, we have been trying to figure out how to help engineers become more effective engineering managers, and I believe we finally figured out how. And it comes down to three words, intensity, focus, and accountability. And if you enroll in our Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, you will experience all three. I'm going to tell you more about the program at the end of the show as we are enrolling engineers for our next session right now at engineertomanager.com. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation, just so you get to know a little bit more about them before we dive into our conversation. Kelly Dooley, P-E-M-A-S-C-E, holds a five-year Bachelor of Architectural Engineering degree from the Pennsylvania State University and is a licensed professional engineer in the state of Maryland. She practiced structural engineering at Rathgerber Goss Associates, a small structural consulting firm in Rockville, Maryland, for nearly five years. Currently, Kelly works with ASCE as director of Raise the Bar and is pursuing her master's in management part-time at the University of Maryland University College. 
Mr. Brad Aldrich, P-E-F-N-S-P-E-F-A-S-E-E, is president of Aldrich and Elliott, P.C., located in Essex Junction, Vermont. Founded in 1995, A&E is an innovative leader in water, wastewater, and stormwater engineering for municipalities in Vermont and northern New England. Mr. Aldrich is a graduate of the University of Vermont with a Bachelor of Science degree in civil engineering and holds licenses in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and Massachusetts. Mr. Aldrich is an active member of both the National Society of Professional Engineers and the American Society of Civil Engineers. He served as president of the National Society of Professional Engineers in 2008 to 2009. He currently serves as president of the National Engineers Week Board of Trustees as a director of the Math Counts Foundation and the Board of Governors for the Order of the Engineer Society. Mr. Aldrich was recently appointed to the Board of Licensure for Professional Engineers in Vermont. So some great guests. We got into a really good conversation about Raise the Bar, and let's jump into it right now. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. Now I'm thrilled to welcome Kelly Dooley from ASCE and Brad Aldrich from Aldrich and Elliott PC Civil Engineering Podcast. Brad, Kelly, welcome. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. All right, so we are here today to talk about Raise the Bar. As an ASC member myself for a long time, it's something that you know you hear about a lot, whether it's through the website, through the social media, at the conferences when you're talking with people. And I know that there's still a lot of members and outside of the members, just civil engineers that aren't necessarily clear on what it is. So why don't we start out with the first question being, what is Raise the Bar? How would you describe it? How would you define it? Raise the Bar is, um, well, it's an ASCE-led initiative, and it's really to ensure that all civil engineers are fully equipped with the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that are required to uphold that obligation they make to the public um, to protect the public health, safety, and welfare. So the end goal is really to advance both technical excellence and professional leadership through education and training, so the preparation of the civil engineer before they enter professional practice. It is ASCE-led, but it's also supported by some other engineering organizations that you're probably familiar with. NAE, the National Academy of Engineers, NSPE, the National Society of Professional Engineers, and NCEES. So, but would you say it's a program or like an initiative or how how would you frame it? It's an initiative. It's one of, right now, it's one of ASCE's three strategic initiatives. So as a strategic initiative, it's action-oriented. So the goal is really to increase the educational requirements so that every civil engineer it has those knowledge and skills that they need. Okay, so it's basically an initiative to try to ensure that civil engineers that are practicing today or going into practice have the proper education to be able to do their job. Exactly. And to be able, even more than do their job, to be able to uphold that obligation that uh, we have as civil engineers to the public. That makes sense. So raising the bar, being the name of the initiative, would tend to indicate that the bar is low now or the bar is not where it should be. So why do we need to raise the bar? Um, So I'll take a first pass at this, and then I know Brad probably has some additional position to add to that. But um, the first thing to think about is the role of a profession. And uh, as engineering is considered a profession, and particularly civil engineering is its own profession within that. 
And the role of a profession is a few things, but one of the most important characteristics is that we set the standards for practice. Through that, we typically have credentials that will demonstrate the competency or demonstrate that you've met that standard. And the credentials that we hold aren't just for our own sake, but they demonstrate to the public or to employers, to anyone outside of the engineering community, that we've met those standards that have been set by the profession. And by setting standards, it allows us to regulate the requirements for entry into the profession. So again, these are kind of characteristics of a profession. There's a really great paper by Dr. Stephen Ressler called The Sociology of Professions that digs into these. So for civil engineering to be a profession, we really do have to set those standards and regularly monitor and update requirements for entry. Right now, we're facing a lot of competing pressures. We're seeing engineering education being reduced in the amount of credit hours. A lot of states actually are putting credit hour caps on universities, so they can't have programs that have more than 120 credit hours, Hmm. which is an issue, uh, especially for engineering programs that historically have been in the 140 credit hour area. Along with that, we're seeing new technologies emerge every day, new principles of design that engineers are supposed to be familiar with and considering things like sustainability. So all these things add into, or I guess, work together to put us in this position that we realize that maybe the entry into our profession might need to change at this time. Maybe we need to really revisit the standards of practice and whether or not our requirements are where they need to be with so much more to know and less being taught in a traditional bachelor's degree program. I understand that. So let me transition here uh, over to Brad Aldrich for a second. Brad has been a practicing engineer uh, with his own firm for over 20 years and he's a member of the Raise the Bar Committee for ASCE as a member. And Brad, what is your take or how would you like to kind of add to what Kelly said? Sure. One of the first things I, need, I want to point out, which I think is important, is Kelly was talking about professional practice. And that means different things to different people. In this particular initiative, professional practice is a legal term. And it means you are a licensed professional engineer. So to, just to clarify, what I, what I mean by that is, Somebody who graduates with a civil engineering degree can come into my office, they can work and be productive. What I would advocate is that they don't have adequate education to advance to the point that they can get a professional license and practice on their own without supervision, um, without some additional effort, both educationally and possibly experientially. So when we talk about professional practice, I mean, that's a very, we tend to dilute it a little bit, but it's a very important term in terms of what we mean by that, as I said, it means being a licensed professional engineer. It's interesting. So, I mean, we, aren't, we are not saying that every civil engineer that graduates with a BS degree is unemployable until they get their master's, for instance. That's not, a, not what we're saying at all. What we are saying is that at some point between your bachelor's degree and obtaining your professional engineering license, we think that there's additional education that should be taking place, whether it's done right after your bachelor's degree whether it's done while you're employed, before you get your license, that doesn't really matter, but we recognize that we need to do more than we are. Now, when you say that, Brad, between the, um, because that was a good way to explain it, between your bachelor's degree and your PE license, there's a need for more education. 
is that defined yet? Or like, in other words, is, does that mean a master's degree or is that nece- not necessarily defined yet in the initiative? In simple terms, we would say, yes, it's a master's degree in engineering, but we are looking at what we call alternative pathways because there probably is more than one way to solve the problem, as we engineers know. I would say a master's degree is, is a simple way to understand it. Will there okay. be other alternative pathways? Probably. Those are things we will look at. Okay. That makes sense. Let me switch back to Kelly for a minute here. As I mentioned before earlier in the episode, Kelly works for ASCE on the Raise the Bar, but she is also a licensed engineer. She did work in practice for, I believe, five years. And so she has that working knowledge as well. And she's been very deep into Raise the Bar. And we've had conversations on this before. So I want to ask her this other question, which I think is really important, which is it's related to the Raise the Bar initiative. It's this civil engineering body of knowledge. What is the civil engineering body of knowledge? Why was it established and how are the two related? Sure. So as I mentioned, the whole initiative centers around the idea that we want to make sure all civil engineers have the knowledge and skills that they need to enter professional practice. The civil engineering body of knowledge, the CEBOK, defines what those knowledge and skills are. And it defines them and also the attitudes, which are the ways in which we think or feel in response to a situation. Those things like commitment and good judgment and thoroughness. And that publication is really the foundation to raise the bar. And in the second edition, which was published in 2008, they drew a conclusion that today's processes, today's curricula, today's accreditation, and today's licensing process do not ensure fulfillment of that body of knowledge. So we're saying this is what you need to know, and today's processes are not ensuring that every civil engineer has what you need to know. And that's a concern. There are gaps in what you need to know, and in the BOK, we start to dig into some of those gaps. And I think that's when when Brad mentioned, or when you asked Brad, is that additional education defined as a master's degree? And Brad was exactly right. It's, it's not specifically designed as a master's degree. It's actually defined as outcomes that you need to have achieved. So for instance, you need a technical specialization in some area of civil engineering. You need both a breadth and you need a depth. And we are recognizing that that technical specialization does not seem to fit in the bachelor's degree. That doesn't mean you need a master's, but one way to fulfill that technical specialization is through a master's. And as Brad alluded, that may be one of the the more direct or one of the more defined pathways. But in the end, the goal is that uh, every civil engineer has really achieved that body of knowledge. And again, that's really the foundation to the whole initiative. So just to recap that, first of all, the body of knowledge is created by who? So the body of knowledge is written by ASCE. There's a committee within ASCE. They're actually writing a third edition right now. They're doing a thorough review of the second edition and considering updates and changes. That committee reports to the Committee on Education. So it's comprised of a lot of academics within civil engineering, though the document does include both what you would need to know through your educational component and also through your experiential component um, before professional practice. 
just to make this clear. So ASCE created what's called the body of knowledge, which is supposed to represent essentially what's required for a civil engineer to be able to practice effectively as a civil engineer. However, because of changing times, the raise the bar initiative in committee, which is also started as an ASCE initiative, has been created because the body of knowledge right now is kind of being recognized as maybe not enough as what we need. Is that accurate? Yep. So the body of knowledge was written. It was recognized that what we need to know and what our processes today are ensuring there's a disconnect, there's a gap. So the Raise the Bar initiative really started to close that gap. All right. So let me ask Brad a question here. Brad, you've been practicing for a while and you're practicing now with your own firm. We're talking about these different committees. We're talking about the fact that there's, you know, it's there's kind of heavy academic influence on the BOK. How are we making sure that these ideas are also being looked at from a professional practice perspective? Is that kind of your job and the committee's job? I think that the BOK itself does have a lot of practitioners on it as well as academics. So I think that, you know, in fairness, the, the BOK does have a lot of practitioner influence on it as well. Okay. I would say that just by my own experience and running a firm for 23 years and hiring young engineers and knowing what they know and knowing what they don't know, I mean, one of the things that I realize, and one of the arguments that people will say is one of my obligations as an employer of young engineers is to give them the adequate experience they need to become competent to practice as a professional engineer. And they're right. That is my responsibility at some levels as an employer. But what I can't do is teach some of the foundational education and training that they need to get in an academic setting that I frankly am not qualified to teach them. And with the ever-expanding body of knowledge, having been in the business and being a professional engineer for 35 years, I can kind of keep up with the changes to some extent. And as I'm reaching the end of my career, I'm managing okay. But to somebody jumping in today needs to know so much more than I needed to know back then to really start that way. And I, and I can't bring them up to speed on a lot of those things. And frankly, with the younger engineers that are coming with master's degrees, they're teaching me some things that I didn't know. It's really important to understand that, it's, that the education component to become a professional engineer does need to increase. And I would say that civil engineering graduates who don't want to pursue a license, who don't want to pursue the additional education, We'll always have a seat at the table in an engineering office. One of my arguments is that we don't need to license every engineer in our firm. We need to license those who want to aspire to that level to take on that level of responsibility and that level of professionalism and that obligation to the public. That's very uh, interesting. So, Brad, when you hire engineers, for example, now that are coming out of school, if you hire someone that has a bachelor's degree only and not a master's degree, that's potentially okay because they may be someone who's only interested in doing things that would be within that educational experience. Whereas, as you're saying, if people want to go on to get licensed and do certain, aspire to other things, they're going to most likely need to get additional education. I, I agree with that, Anthony. But what I'd also say is that I don't, when I interview young engineers for my, for my firm, I'm not necessarily saying I want you to go get your master's and come back and talk to me because I can put them to use with a bachelor's degree. And I've got, a, I've got a several people in our office that have done that, that have 
gone on and got the master's degree at some point while they're gaining their experiential learning part of their obligation for their license. So I'm certainly not advocating that you need to be a straight shot from bachelor's to master's and you're not employable until you do. Absolutely right. not. I think a lot of a lot of young engineers come to my firm and figure out, is this the kind of thing I want to do? Is this the discipline specific area that I want to focus on? So I think that a lot of a lot of engineers should go to work first and get informed about where their interests are. So when they go back and get their master's or get their additional education, it's in an area that they really have a passion for and they have some background that makes that master's degree even more meaningful. Okay, that's good. I'm glad that we had that exchange because I think one of the things I wanted to make clear in doing this episode was that I don't want civil engineers to think that ASC is trying to raise the bar so that when you come out of school, you cannot get a job or it's going to make it harder for you to get a job because I think Brad pretty much said it clearly right there as a business owner himself. He's completely open to hiring a civil engineer with a bachelor's degree that just graduated and he can integrate them into the work and they will be useful and productive. However, what we're learning from the raise the bar is that in order for you to maybe take further steps to become licensed, to be effective at a higher level, you're going to need additional education over those next period of years in your career. And I think that's an important distinction because I do think from some of the stuff that I saw on social media was people were thinking that this is raising the bar in terms of making it harder to get employed or get a job because now you're going to have to go and pay for a lot more education that you may not be able to afford. So I wanted to be clear about that. And I will also say, Anthony, that at least in my firm, those individuals that that I recognize should be rising to that level and want to figure out how to get a master's, we're paying for part of it. We aren't paying for all of it because we get support. In my mind, it's important for the individual who has some skin in the game. But you come to work for me and you show the initiative and I want to keep you and I want you to be a professional engineer. I'm going to help you get there. So it's not necessarily money out of pocket. Now, granted, taking a master's degree program while you're working 40 or 50 hours a week, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but there are so many more ways to do it today with online courses and the, and the sort that, you know, the brick and mortar schools training isn't the only answer to this. So there's so many ways to get it done and get it done really effectively. And I've, I've really seen the benefits of it. So I look at it as a good business decision when I apply it right. All right. So what we're going to do is let me just summarize and then we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we have some questions from ASCE members from the ASCE linked group around Raise the Bar that we're going to try to answer or help to at least give some information around. But so basically, just to summarize this, and Kelly, if you want to correct me or jump in here if you need to, feel free. But basically, I think it's better to start with the civil engineering body of knowledge and thinking that this was something that was developed by ASCE to describe the knowledge necessary to operate as a civil engineer effectively. And over time, and with things that have happened in the world, like Brad said, things are different now, the Raise the Bar initiative was then created to analyze and see, do we need to now raise the bar for civil engineers to be able to uphold that body of knowledge? Do they need more information today to be able to uphold that? And so that's the differences between the two are. And that's when, so when you hear Raise the Bar, the Raise the Bar is the whole idea behind it is at every moment in time, things change. So we need to continually check to make sure that civil engineers can still operate up to the what's been set in the body of knowledge. Did I do an okay job there, Kelly? Yeah, that's exactly it. And just so everyone is aware, I mentioned that there's a committee that 
works on the body of knowledge and threads, right? There is some practitioner influence on that committee. Um, there's also a good amount of academic representation, but that committee isn't operating in a bubble. That committee gathers feedback from stakeholders inside and outside of ASCE, from department heads, from other committees, and ultimately the ASCE board accepts the body of knowledge. When the body of knowledge is approved and then published, the board has accepted the body of knowledge. So just to make it clear that it's not 10 or 15 people in a room putting pen to paper on what every civil engineer needs to know, they really are doing their due diligence in reaching out to all the stakeholders and to make sure that what, what they're saying we need to know is truly what we need to know and that they're not afraid to say that that's more than we are ensuring today. Anthony, the one thing I would add to that is that when the original BOK was developed, the starting point was define all the things that a civil engineer needs to know, both through education and experience, to practice as a professional engineer. So basically, they started with, this is what you need to know to really competently practice as a professional engineer, unsupervised, potentially on your own. And from that, they backed into, okay, so what falls in the experiential column? What falls in the education column? So really, I think it's important to recognize and to acknowledge that the BOK is all about that baseline standard for entering professional practice as a professional engineer. So they didn't start looking at the academics and start backing into things in another way. They started where they needed to go and then went back and evaluated, am I meeting the standards ac academically? Am I meeting the standards experientially? And how does it all fit? That's great. Just for anyone who's not very familiar with the CEBOK, it's broken into three different sets of outcomes. And the first set is foundational, and that's really the most typical way to achieve most of the foundational outcomes is through your bachelor's degree. It's really the basis of your education, the foundation of your education, the maths, the sciences, the humanities. It's, it's really what we gain through our bachelor's education. Then um, the next set of outcomes is technical. And some of that is typically gained within a bachelor's degree. Like I mentioned before, you get a breadth of civil engineering. You learn a little bit about all the sub-disciplines. There's also a technical specialization piece in there. And that's where we see probably the biggest gap between what's been defined as what you need to know and what's getting taught in a typical bachelor's degree. There's some other items in the, or some other outcomes in the technical set, things like problem solving and experiments. And some of those aren't really reaching level that you need to be at in just a bachelor's degree. And then the last set of outcomes are professional outcomes. And again, we don't want to say that education is more important than experience. They are both extremely important to the preparation of a civil engineer. And those, a lot of those professional outcomes, you might get little pieces of in your education by working on teams in classroom settings and working on group projects. But you're really going to gain the bulk of those communication skills and business skills and the like by gaining that pre-licensure experience. All right, and that's a perfect place for us to stop here in this main segment because we're going to now take a break, come back in a minute, and we're going to talk about exactly what Kelly just references, experience. And those are mainly the questions that were asked by the members. So we'll be back in the end segment in just a moment. Sit tight. 
Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our end segment. And again, before we dive into it, I want to thank our sponsor, Advanced Drainage Systems. I mentioned earlier that this special podcast episode is being brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the most advanced name in water management solutions. ADS now offers the next generation of thermoplastic pipe in America with its high-performance pipe made of polypropylene, or PP. Designed for both sanitary, sani-tight HP, and storm, HP storm, sewers, HP pipe offers improved stiffness and joint performance, as well as ease of installation and inspection. HP Storm provides a robust and lightweight pipe design to maintain a watertight joint and handle increased service loads, such as automotive, railway, and aircraft design vehicles. Sani Tight HP is designed for gravity-fed sewer applications, 12 to 60 inches in diameter, and meets all the same industry standards as SDR 35 PVC. ADS offers lunch and learn presentations to engineering and construction firms interested in learning more about HD pipe and other ADS product lines. Reach out to your local ADS representatives to schedule a presentation today or contact ADS at justin.pichillo at ads-pipe.com. Again, that's justin.picciello at ads-pipe.com. All right, so we are here with Kelly Dooley, Brad Aldrich. We're talking about Raise the Bar, and we spent the main segment of the show kind of defining it, breaking it down, and talking about the difference between Raise the Bar and the Civil Engineering Body and Knowledge. I had also asked a question in the ASCE LinkedIn group about what questions civil engineers out there had on Raise the Bar, and I'm going to go through a few of them now for Kelly and Brad to answer. So the first question that came up was, since a majority of training is job-specific and happens in the workplace, why don't we put an emphasis on experience before receiving a stamp instead of education? For example, instead of lobbying to make a master's degree required for a PE, six years of school, four years of experience, we keep the BS degree requirement and add a few years of experience, so four years of school and six years of experience. That way, we reach the goal of raise the bar, better engineers, without unnecessarily adding debt and financial burden for potential engineers. Who wants to take a shot at that one? Sure, I'll jump in on that one. We hear that argument quite a lot, and I would frankly advocate that probably four years of experience isn't enough regardless. But on-the-job training is important. And as I said earlier, as an employer, I have an obligation to bring my young engineers up to a certain level of speed through their experience before they sit down and get for their license. But there's foundational educational knowledge and there's practical educational knowledge. I'm responsible for the practical piece. I'm responsible for the application piece. But it's the foundational piece that's not being met today in our bachelor's programs that I can't address. And... That's one of the things that we struggle with. That's why I advocate and very much encourage my young engineers that are really interested in taking it to the next level to pursue additional education because they simply didn't get enough in their bachelor's degree. Right. And I'm going to go right into the second question here because it can actually be, I think, part of this first question. The second question is, if there is to be a call for increasing the need for education of engineers, why not continue with the BS requirement? the minimum years of experience, but allow continuing education hours to be taken during the time that the individual is gaining their experience 
in lieu of a master's degree. This would get the increase in education, but spread out the cost to the individual over time during a time period that they might be better able to manage the cost and the firms at their discretion could pay for the continuing education hours to train the individual in what knowledge or skills they need. And I I think the bottom line here is that, I mean, they're both offering alternate solutions, but the end point of both of them is to ease the financial burden on the engineer, which I have seen to be one of the primary concerns of many civil engineers saying, now we're going to need to get more education at a younger age and go into more debt. And so this other idea is to supplement early years of your experience with technical training and other, I guess, kind of continuing education. I know mainly what ASE is looking at this from is a technical perspective, not necessarily thinking about the financial aspects of it. But that is something that's going to happen that civil engineers are going to have to deal with. Is there anything that you can offer around that or? So again, the, the goal of raise the bar is not to require a master's degree. That is a path that hopefully would lead towards an individual achieving the civil engineering body of knowledge. I think Brad alluded to this earlier. There's a lot of alternative learning methods that are available today that were not available even 10 years ago. And those pathways, things like online coursework through a university, things like firms offering their own university-like education are definitely means by which the BOK outcomes could be fulfilled. And if the areas where the gaps have been identified can be achieved through those learning methods, we're all for it. So again, we're not trying to force masters on everyone. We definitely recognize that there's other ways that that knowledge can be gained. And the end goal is that that knowledge is not how it's gained. That being said, we we have identified a master's degree as a typical path. And we do recognize that there is, of course, concerns about student debt and um, the financial burden of a master's degree. And unfortunately, it's a real issue for our entire country and for sure. uh, in our, you know, it's not unique at all to engineers. But would we say doctors don't need to go to med school because we don't want them to be in debt or lawyers don't need to go to law school because we don't want them to go in debt. So while being sensitive to it, we also do have to recognize that we have a responsibility to define what's needed to enter our profession and then to uphold that standard. If we really truly believe that the current systems do not ensure that the knowledge and skills required have been achieved, that to me cannot be waived because of financial concerns. I hope that more and more companies, and I think a lot already do, will do just what Brad's company does, which is help support their employees when they hope to uh, pursue additional education in whatever form that may be. I'm actually getting my own master's in management right now and supported through ASCE with some of the finances for that. So I'm hoping that's a trend that we'll see continue to increase, but I still think we have to keep our responsibility to our profession, our number one. Sure. The only thing I wish I would add, and I, and I don't mean to sound callous and about this, and but I bristle at that argument a little bit because doctors need additional education, lawyers need additional education, 
CPAs need additional education, architects need additional education, social workers, occupational therapists, they all need advanced education past a bachelor's degree, and they all find a way to do it. And as, as engineers, we're one of the higher paid professions for our degree. So at some level, I say, what makes us so special that is somehow it's a financial burden for us, but we ask every other profession, licensed profession to do it. That's a good point. I, I would agree with that. And I think in the United States of America, we have a problem with the price of education that is, you know, been talked about in the media as of recently. It's causing a lot of young Americans to go into debt. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't compromise the quality of the engineering work that's done because, you know, we don't want to pay for the proper education. So I think that that's definitely well said, I think, by both of you there. If you look at salary surveys and you look at the bump that's typically received over a short period of time in a person's career after they gain their master's degree, the typical payback period for that education is about five years. And then you have the, the ancillary benefits the rest of your career. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not suggesting that it's not e- that it can be hard, a hardship for some people in the early parts of their careers. But if you take the long view, the payback is substantial. Yeah. And I do know that there are a lot of firms out there that do provide financial support for additional education. The firm that I worked for did provide that support for me for my master's in civil engineering. And who knows, maybe this would even help or even prompt some more firms to look at uh, helping out some of, the, some of the engineers out there. The next question that was an interesting one was, what is the significance of raise the bar to non-engineers and other citizens? So... This is actually a really good question, and I don't know that I've at least ever been asked this question, but when I hear that, my immediate reaction is it's extremely significant. I mean, the public, the non-engineers and the citizens of the United States are the end user of the infrastructure that is designed, built, planned by engineers, and it supports our entire society. And so... I think the public expects that engineers are adequately prepared to do their job and to design, build, and plan that infrastructure. And I think they should be aware that the American Society of Civil Engineers, as a leader of the civil engineering profession, has concerns about whether or not civil engineers are prepared. And so I think it's important that the public is aware that today's processes don't ensure attainment of the body of knowledge that ASC has written and accepted. And I think if they understood this and demanded more, that it could be a catalyst for change. So it's an interesting question because it's not one I have been asked much, but it really got me thinking that if the public had a better understanding, maybe that could really drive some change. And just talked a little bit about comparing it to other professions. We drive on roads and bridges and drink water that civil engineers are responsible for every day. And if you were going to a doctor, to a surgeon, say you're going to a cardiac surgeon and they're performing heart surgery on you or a family member, if they have not gone through the education and training they needed, both a general breadth of medical and surgical study and then a depth within cardiology, would you want them operating on you or your family member? So would we want to be driving over bridges or drinking water that engineers are responsible for that haven't received that education that they really need to ensure that it's safe for the public? 
So again, it all just goes back to, we want every civil engineer to have the foundational framework, the technical breadth and depth, and the professional skills that are necessary to really serve the public. And the public as that end user definitely needs to be aware of this initiative. That's a great way to think of it. And I also thought that this was an interesting question when I saw it that I hadn't thought about before, but I think the way that you answered it makes perfect sense is that, you know, if we're driving over roads and we're touching things every day that civil engineers have a big role in. So of course we'd want them to be the top of their game as far as education, just like if we were going into a surgery. All right. So here's the one last question. Maybe I can uh, kick this over to Brad to start. What does the future of engineering practice look like? I mean, we've talked a lot about this idea of raise the bar. Things are changing. Between your practice, Brad, and also your involvement with the different societies, NSP, ASC, your, your volunteer work, what do you see? Where are we headed? That's a really good question because I think we're at, a, we're at a tipping point. We may be past the tipping point where engineering will become a commodity and not truly a profession, not truly a learned profession because I think that we are backsliding on what we need to do. With the ever-expanding body of knowledge, technology, sustainability, all the things that we need to apply today, we need to do a better job. I feel like we're not meeting all our obligations. Going back to an earlier thing with Kelly with the doctors, it's not a tongue-in-cheek joke that a doctor can only kill one person at a time. We can kill a thousand. The obligations of a professional engineer are such that we need to raise the bar. We really do need to set a higher standard for what it means to be a professional engineer and to practice as a professional engineer. doesn't mean a civil engineer can't have a, a long and illustrious career in engineering without it, but they probably are, but they aren't going to get licensed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the ones that do need to rise to that level and be able to demonstrate that they can competently practice that way and maintain that competence throughout their careers. Absolutely. And I, and I spoke to Rick DeLaGuardia recently, who's an ASCE, now he's a civil engineer, but he's also authored a book for ASCE called Engineer to Entrepreneur. He's a hurricane expert, though, which is the reason I spoke to him. And we talked about the changing weather and he, he's involved in looking at codes and maybe reassessing codes going forward for different situations. So, you know, there's lots of things that are changing and there's no doubt that education is going to play, continue to play a critical role in making sure that civil engineers are prepared for the future, are prepared to serve citizens the best they can, because that's really what we do as civil engineers. I'm glad that both of you took the time to come on here today to talk about this, because it is an important initiative, and it is, but it is also one that I feel that there's a lot of confusion around in my own conversations. And, and again, I think that you can see from the way that Kelly and Brad have answered these questions, it's not about creating a burden in any way for civil engineers. It's about making sure that you can do the job that you ultimately, you know, that I believe that you want to do, which is to best serve the public and best serve your clients and communities. And in order to be able to do that, we need to keep up with the times and we need to be educated on things that we're going to need to be able to do those designs and communicate those designs. And so you can get involved. You can be active, whether you're an ASCE member or whether you want to somehow provide input online through these LinkedIn groups, through these different discussions, through these different committees, I always tell people it's easy to sit back and ask questions or say things, but you know, volunteer, get involved. I mean, that's the one thing about these professional associations, and I've been involved in many, you just have to raise your hand. Everyone wants help. Everyone's looking for volunteer help, and you can get involved. So 
we will link up to Brad and Kelly's LinkedIn profiles. We'll link to some other links that Kelly's provided me with information around these initiatives. And we hope to hear back from you. Kelly, Brad, thanks for spending some time here with me today and trying to just kind of summarize this and break it down for everyone. I think it was really helpful. Thank you, Anthony, for inviting us to be on. It's been a pleasure. Once again, thank you so much to Kelly and Brad for doing this. Thank you to ADS for sponsoring this episode. It was something that I really wanted to get out there to civil engineers. Before we sign off, remember earlier in the show, I mentioned how we've created a new program called the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, which combines intensity, focus, and accountability. Well, it's intense because it's a five-week online program, mostly done outside of working hours. You'll focus because you'll be put on a team with other engineers. You'll be given an engineering management problem, and then we'll give you five one-hour skill-building sessions on skills like communication, networking, productivity, and leadership, and then several group coaching calls. And we'll put you in a private forum with your team and a coach, and you'll sprint, and you'll find a solution. Then for accountability, you will present your solution at the end of the program to our coaches and also to your company once you are finished. This is not only accountability, but it's a huge opportunity because the problems that we give you may generate real solutions for your company while helping you become an effective engineering manager and improving your speaking skills. I have met way too many engineers that haven't been able to make that engineer to manager leap, and this program is built to change that. And I got to tell you, we're through the first session and the presentations are dynamite. These engineers are taking these solutions back to their companies. And they're helping their companies to do great things with these solutions that they came up with, which is great for the company, and it's unbelievable for their own development. So please visit engineertomanager.com to enroll for our next session, which begins January 23rd, 2018. Spots are limited, and we sold out our last session in just a few days. Also, on the website, below the video, you will see a button that says Get Reimbursed. If you click that, it's going to take you to a message that you could send to your supervisor along with a one-page PDF that you can use to try to get reimbursed, and you probably will. 90% of our students have. Again, just go to engineertomanager.com and you'll have all the information that you need there. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 72. You will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.